0: Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 9. I want to thank you for joining me today to hear my talk with Hannah Howard. She's the author of Feast and Plenty, two recent bestsellers. Talking to Hannah was very thrilling, and I really enjoyed talking to her, primarily because I had just finished reading her books. And while that's not unusual for me, sometimes I get books right before... Um, an interview. Um, the thrilling thing for me was that I really got into the books. The, her books got under my skin, unlike anything I've read in a long time. Um, I have various you know theories on why that is, but I think the most important one is that she's just a really great writer. Um, I, I just really got so much um, out of her writing, style and the way she turns a phrase. So I just think her two books, are very thrilling to read. Um, they kind of go through an emotional roller coaster, and you go up and down in different emotions. Sometimes on one page, you're just thrilled to read some kind of a dinner that was had, and the next day something um, traumatic is happening in Hannah's personal life, and it's just harrowing. So um, they're definitely not boring or books that you get through, you know, as, as like you know, just applauding along, you know. Team, they really are riveting and really make you feel like you're there experiencing with it I actually a few times during the conversation almost kind of referred to people in the book as though I knew them and I didn't I think that's what kind of writer Hannah is she's the kind of writer that makes you feel like you know everybody in the book like you know her husband you know her friends you know when you don't and That's a great hat trick for any writer. And so I really want to urge you to read Feast and Plenty. Both of them are out. You can get them in any bookstore. Wonderful books. I urge you to uh, get them as soon as possible. If you're not familiar with the works of Hannah Howard, she's a writer and food expert who spent her years in New York eating, drinking, bartending, cooking on a line, flipping giant wheels of cheese, and managing restaurants. And that's no uh, small bragging right, she has done all those things and more she likes to write about delicious things teaching food writing classes and she just might spend all day market shopping fruits and veggies um and she's also a new mom too and she talks about that a lot in um plenty and you can see her work on instagram and read all about her life um Without further ado, I want to go right to the interview because it was a great conversation. She's not only a brilliant writer, but she's just a wonderful conversationalist. I was nervous about talking to her and she immediately put me at ease. So here we go. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian podcast. Today, I'm very happy to have Hannah Howard, the the author of Feast and Plenty. Thank you, Hannah, for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. Well, I just finished um, Plenty last night, and I finished Feast right before that, and both of them are wonderful uh, books that I got really wrapped up into. I have not had something get under my skin quite so much in such a long time. I feel like I know you. I feel like I know the people you talked about. It's weird because your writing really immerses the reader. You really feel your way of writing. You. You put so much sensory stuff in there, and you describe things so well, it's almost like virtual reality. I feel like I'm I'm living it, even though it's not me, and that's so wonderful in a book because you're just taken along for the ride, like a good film does. So it's like it was really just a pleasure to read. I'm very greedy in that. I hope you write a lot more so I can read that as well. So please do. Um, but it's a central pleasure, and it's also heartrending. There's times when it just stops you. Uh, I'm not going to. Disclose anything in the book because I don't want to spoil anything for the readers. But it's like a roller coaster in that there's times when like you'll be describing a wonderful meal, and then something terrible will happen right after, like a page after, and you're just like, what, what, what? (laughs) So it's like it's really jarring. Some of the things you you paint things very realistically, but also uh, you paint things like a like a movie like a person like a movie producer or a good artist. Like you really get immersed in it. So. How do you feel about both books together now that you've written it? And now that they're out in the public, do you want to see this as a series of books? Do you want to write more about your life in the future?
1: Thank you, first of all, for all those amazingly kind words. Um, It's funny when, um, so my first book came out in 2018, Feast, and the, the very short version is that it's about my falling in love with food, working in restaurants and struggling with an eating disorder. And when I was kind of thinking about what the next book would be, people asked me, is it a sequel? And I wasn't sure, I still am not entirely sure how to answer that question because in in writing memoir and writing more about myself, I'm the thread that continues. But I think the focus of the book, which is about my journey, starting my family, but also finding a community of amazing women in the food and hospitality world, it did seem to have a really different focus. Um, I'm not sure. I, I definitely feel like I'm a writer, whether I want to be or not. <laughs> so I. I um, working on some new projects that feel like super different, Um, but I I always love writing about food and there's just something about memoir, something about taking um, the, right, both the wonderful and the sometimes really hard parts of life and transforming them into stories and sharing them with people that feels Really satisfying and cool, and also like uh, I just kind of have that that impulse to do it.
0: There's something about a memoir that's really special. I I love a lot of memoirs, and I don't know if you I don't know if you're a big reader of memoirs yourself as a writer of them, but like I love them, and there's something magical about them to get the story from a person's POV. that's not writing fiction, but writing about real things that happened to them. It's very magical, and I really, I mean, it gave me a visceral kind of gut punch at times because it's not like fiction. When it's, something happens in a fictional character, you're like, all right, well, that's, you know, you always have that detachment, but knowing something's real, it's like, wow, it kind of just hits you like this is real stuff. And, <coughs> and then, okay, good. I can only imagine that this these books moved a lot of people for various reasons, just as they moved me to read them. Um, I know, I'm, I can only imagine you have like a really growing fan base. Are you getting a lot of contact back from like some of the people that have read it saying, hey, you, you know, I shared this experience with you or, you know, you really meant a lot. Like just could be on so many levels, like just as a woman, as a mother, somebody who works in the food industry, somebody who struggled with eating disorder. I mean, I think many people could resonate with these. Did you have a lot of feedback so far?
1: Absolutely. I think that was the first kind of um, big experience I had was with that was with sharing about my eating disorder. I think because it felt so vulnerable and for that reason uh, hard to share, it was just something that for so many years to me was like my deepest darkest secret and full of uh, I was full of embarrassment and shame about it. So to turn that into something that I was now. Um, writing about and sharing about with any person in the world who wanted to read it, it did feel kind of like, wow, what am I doing? What, what is this? Um, and then I got write so many like from, from little, little notes to longer uh, responses, just people saying that they had been through this too. And that did kind of make all that anxiety about what am I doing? Um, It made it feel worth it because yeah, I think people really relate. And I, um, in in Plenty, I talk about um, having a miscarriage, which is also something that felt at the time like a very lonely experience. So getting to share about it and then make it something that hopefully other people can connect to around feels really cool and rewarding
0: that scene in the book was heartbreaking for as, as a reader. I'm, I just, it, it was hard to read um, as I'm, I'm sure it was for you to write about, but I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the book that's really real and it, I mean, you, you write it so well too. And it's just, it really brings across, I think, how, I mean, I, I think it, it should, it would bring across how you feel very, very succinctly. Um, When authors write a memoir, inevitably, there's a lot of people that realize, oh, shit, I'm in a book. Um, What was the reaction of family, friends, and acquaintances to your book? Did you get a lot of people kind of emailing you later on going, "Uh, hey, (laughs) I see myself in your book. Uh."
1: (laughs) I didn't want there to be too many surprises. So I definitely shared shared the book with the big characters in the book, which are people in my life. Um, I also learned, you know, this is my second time going through this publishing process, but it still oftentimes feels new um, and mysterious. And uh, y- there's a, a legal read. So, you know, what, what I say about people has to be um, either public information or have I have to have their blessing, which I didn't realize. Um, so yeah it's I think that was one of the things that I find found the hardest, especially um, right, people close to me. and then also new people because um, they're really the people in plenty, especially these women I wrote about, like really trusted me with their life stories and struggles and triumphs and um, I wanted to do and I, I really genuinely admire these people and I wanted to do them justice without like sugarcoating things. Um, so it felt like a challenge. And I think most of the time it worked out well. Um, you know, there's some, there's like some ex-boyfriends and feast and stuff and yeah, I, they're not, right. They're not in my life. So I don't yeah. know, um, but you know, it's okay. And I, I think the one, um, my mom and my husband are both in, in plenty and Uh, my mom especially I think was so great like she really was happy to share some very personal things with me and and therefore with the world Um, and so I'm really grateful for her for being willing and I'm amazed at my husband for (laughs) I think it must be so hard to be married to a memoirist I can't even imagine so he gets like serious props for for putting up with me
0: he sounds wonderful, though, from the way you write him. He just sounds really neat, like the kind of person you'd want to meet. So, so you're, you're a parent now, and, you know, Plenty chronicles you becoming a parent. What was the perspective that you gained from the parts of the book where you wrote as a child of parents, but now you're writing as a parent? Was that a weird juxtaposition for you between the two books?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like they're both kinds of coming-of-age stories in a way, as as I'm growing up, and and feast was a lot about my my early twenties. So definitely being like a young a young person in the world. And um, it's funny because I still a year and a half into being someone's mother, I still find it weird that I'm someone's mother. That sounds like so. You know, I still feel part of me still feels like sometimes some days twelve, some days eighteen. You know, but yeah, I do think I've gotten more perspective. Um, definitely um talking to my own parents about the challenges of parenthood and how what a consuming intense task it is and um I I I really look forward to writing more about it but I feel like I'm still kind of in right in the thick of processing um on my way to talk to you today I had my my baby Simone who gets is, is in the book um, is now a toddler going through a phase where when I leave, she has a full body meltdown every morning oh, yeah. and um, some days I can kind of like suck it up and other days it just feels awful. And that this is one of the mornings where I, it was really hard leaving And um, you know, and then also becoming a parent at the same time as the pandemic starting I feel, I feel like the last year and a half has just been such a whirlwind. And then I'm gonna be like processing and making meaning out of that for quite a long time to come.
0: You were very generous, I think, with your mother. Um, you portrayed her as a very complex um, character. And I think it was one of the best portrayals of a relative I've seen in a memoir in quite some time in that you allowed for so much complexity because you don't often see that. A lot of times people are painted as like heroes or villains and, and of course, not your, I'm not saying your mother was a villain at all, but like, I'm just saying you, you painted her as a real person. And that's so nice to see because it's nice when people become like technicolor, not just black or white. And I love that in a memoir or even the work of fiction really. What writers did you read over the years that influenced your work, including food writing?
1: Wow. Um... I guess like you, I'm am a huge reader, and I kind of just go through all these phases. Um, but let's see, I, um, I I think you know, writing reading like Anthony Bourdain's memoir *Kitchen Confidential* when I was like a teenager made me want to work in food, and then. Um, I loved, like, you know, I love the, our food writing ancestors, like MFK Fisher. I love some work that's happening now. I love Michael Twitty. I feel like he always has something wonderful to say.
0: Oh, God, yes. And I
1: just, yes. And I just finished, uh, for other food memoir readers, and I just finished um, Michelle Zahner, whose Japanese breakfasts, Crying in each Mart, which was one of my favorite Food memoirs, I think, just also com- complicated, um, multi-dimensional portrayal of her mom, and I just love the way that food was a character in that book. Um, so, those are just a few like greatest hits. But I feel like I'm always, always trying to read, and I, I can never get enough.
0: I, you know, like I'm glad you mentioned Bourdain because you two both really paint working in restaurants in both very glamorous and unglamorous portraits. Like you show, I think you though show, I think the greatest range as far as different types of restaurants you've worked in because you've worked in a lot of different types of food. Um, you've, you've worked in different types of restaurants and like uh, uh, cheese bars and different types of places, I think than just like one type of restaurant for quite a while. And you really have, I, I think you show some of the most, I think, glamorous and unglamorous um, sites to it. It's almost very scenographic, because like there's times when like it seems like very magical. And then there's other times like, yep, yeah, this is basically like any other job we have to deal with crappy middle managers and stuff. And <laughs> so- um, Absolutely. I, I think it's probably, if anybody wanted to go into that career field, like if my daughter said, I want to be a chef, I'm like, here, Read these authors. They'll give you an idea of what you're going to be in store for.
1: Yeah, I think part of um, like, where Danes, like, right, he does paint this, like, I, I've, um, we, we read part of Kitchen Confidential that was in excerpted in the New Yorker in, 2000, I think it was 2000 or 1999 in the food writing class I teach, and there's just so much, like, Right, it, it, you're, you're completely right that it's like both so glamorous and so terrible, but there's just this like swagger and this energy and this uh, life force that I found like so exciting and I wanted to be at the heart of that. And I think he captured that so gorgeously.
0: Do you think it's getting better for women in the industry than it was when Bourdain was writing about it? Or do you think, it has it changed a lot or is it pretty much the same?
1: I think it's changed not nearly as much as I wish it will change, Um, but I do think that starting with, I mean, one of the jobs that I didn't write about in either book, partially because it was so short-lived was for um, April Bloomfield when she was working with Ken Friedman, who was one of the chefs that got called out in the Me Too movement for sexually harassing people and the restaurants are no longer, Um, And I was really hopeful that like working for a female chef would give me a different kind of perspective, would be a different experience in a way that it wasn't. Um, But I do feel like people are starting to, even with this pandemic to realize that this brutal 80 hour a week life of restaurant, kind of servitude is not sustainable. I don't think it's part of like a healthy economy or it's just not good for anyone. And so I am hopeful that things will change, but I know that there's a very long way to go.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being a parent in the food industry because you can't be sick. If your kids are sick, they can't be sick. I mean, how does that work?
1: It's just incredibly hard and the hours are brutal and not at all set up to, you, you know, you're always working when everyone else is playing and uh, people do it. But I think that's one of the reasons where why people sort of drop out as they have families, especially women, because it's just, it's really like everything is against you.
0: I wanna ask you about writing about your eating disorder because I can only imagine you know, from reading the books, that it was very daunting submitting that first manuscript. How hard was that for you to do?
1: It was incredibly hard. I, um, like I mentioned, I mean, for so many years of my life, my eating disorder was this, um, like, it was this secret, and it was just this um, thing that I felt so deeply ashamed of and hid everywhere I went, which takes up an enormous amount of energy. And then before I published Feast, I published an essay about working in restaurants and having an eating disorder that kind of planted the seed for the book. And I just remember sitting there about, like I had a draft ready and kind of panicking before I was gonna send it in, like just having sweaty palms and being like, oh man, do I wanna do this? What, what, what am I doing? Um, it was a huge emotional risk and it's had a huge reward, I think. I, I mean, I, I, just a few people saying that this book made them feel less lonely has been completely worth it to me. And it does feel like this sort of alchemy, taking something that has caused me like total pain and misery and then being able to transform it into something that's like does some good in the world, that seems to be entirely awesome and make the huge scariness worth it.
0: I think there's something there when like, I think that even if it wasn't necessarily an eating disorder, I think that if you have an issue that is your secret or something that is something that you're hiding from the world because you don't want to feel shame, I think that there's something in a lot of things that it, I mean, I identified with it as somebody who has a learning disability. I, I feel imposter syndrome all the time and just reading your work while it's not the same thing at all. I still felt like somebody got me, you know, it's like, and imagine a lot of people with eating disorders must've felt some great relief knowing that somebody else felt the same way. Has anybody contacted you? Any fans of the work said, Hey, you know, you really touched my life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have, um, you know, a few people, I I remember speaking at at a library in Connecticut, uh, when feasting out at a woman. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I love, yes, amazing. I love libraries. And a a woman who was a pastry chef sticking around to talk to me and and saying like, wow, I never, um, I never thought that I would kind of see myself the way that I saw myself in your book. And it just felt like it really, really filled up my heart because I, yeah, it, it's like that juxtaposition of, of whether it's an eating disorder or a learning disability or just having these things that kind of make us feel in the world like we're outsiders, like a little bit like people don't get us, like we're a little different, we're a little off and then to be like nope, <laughs> not, not not, at all. Um, it's just such a huge relief and I feel like that's, all these years later, that's still kind of sinking in.
0: Um, Let's see, I wanted to... So I want to ask, I'm trying to articulate this question, so please forgive my clumsiness on this. You, I don't want to seem like I'm just praising you, because I'm very interested in your, your work on as a writer on the narrative, because you write a narrative so well. I think if I was to teach a class on narrative writing, I would include your work, because you do it so well. Was this intentional? Did you say, I want to do the book just this way? Or just did it fall, fall into place for you?
1: Oh wow that I'm gonna like really try to take that compliment to heart because for me I think the biggest challenge in both of these books was structure. Maybe because I'm used to writing short pieces both for like in terms of journalism online and kind of my day job is, is copywriting these days for a bunch of food companies so I'm really good like could do like a sentence a paragraph, even a few pages. how how do you it just seems like such a daunting prospect to write you know dozens and dozens of pages that like all somehow connect and all somehow lead to the next and make you want to keep turning the page and I feel like that has been such a mystery um and it took it took a lot of work in both in both books lots of like um moving everything around all kinds of directions lots of different ideas. um, I I find that to be really hard, but I think having the help of some great editors really helps. And I've kind of learned some tools as I've gone, even just the idea of like, um, you know, planting a seed and then like growing that seed in your writing. um, Those sorts of things have helped me. So thank you. (laughs)
0: Well, some of the, and I I think that um, Plenty was a little bit of a departure from Feast. And then you wrote some chapters about members of your family and people that you know. And it was really delicious. Like the part where you wrote about your pop pop, I really loved that so much because how nice is a person to have somebody write about you in a way that makes you very human. And like, I think you painted a picture of, of like strength and vulnerability, and it was such a beautiful picture of that moment for you as a young like girl dealing with your pop-pop, and I just really love that. And the way you portrayed your mother was so wonderful because you really showed different perspectives. I think oftentimes for biographers, they don't, like many people who, who are celebrities, they'll write themselves as, a, as like the celebrity as a child, and you're like, okay, that's not a stretch, but you wrote yourself at different ages, and you really showed an excellent example of how you felt at that age. So was that, do you think you, was that easy for you or did you really struggle with that?
1: Um, You know, I I don't think I've shared this before, but the the kind of beginning of what I wrote about my papa, my grandfather, um, I started that as a, in college, I started writing about that, writing about him and our French toast. And then I really had liked what I wrote, but I, it didn't seem to fit anywhere, so it like sat in a drawer. And then, when I was writing about my mom, I realized that um, that it it did fit into the story, and there was a multi generational story to be told. And so, um, yeah, and I and I do think that I, I am interested. It's funny to go back to feast, for example which, you know, publishing takes some time. So now it feels like I wrote it forever and ever ago. And to think about like, oh, who, you know, I'm, I'm a different, I'm, I'm me of course, and I'm also in some ways a different person now, because I'm so much time has changed and I've grown up and it's just, it's just very wild to think about how this perspective shifts and how we do that in our writing. And um, I try my best.
0: Well, it's, I mean, you did so well. It was wonderful. You went through a lot working in the restaurant industry. To anyone who wants to follow in your footsteps, what advice can you give to somebody
1: who's a beginner? I think one of the best things I did, I'm not even sure if it was consciously or not, but just to choose um, amazing people and maybe their their establishments or their projects and, and get involved as closely as I could. I think like so many industries and and parts of the world, like who you know is really great. So if there's someone out there like doing something that you want to be doing, at least like follow their work. And if you can work for them, even better. I think I just, I was lucky to have these very generous, very brilliant mentors who taught me a ton. And I like kind of carry carry kernels of, of wisdom from them wherever I go
0: have you gone to restaurants um although this question might be moot because of the quarantine but um have you gone to restaurants recently where you wrote about somebody (laughs) who worked in the restaurant and come across them and you're like oh I wonder if they read the book
1: (laughs) yeah well you know I just had um lunch a few weeks ago with with tammy who i wrote about in the book who owns the restaurant colonia verde in brooklyn with her husband and it was a little weird to because she had just read what i wrote about her and um but she she you know she was she was touched and it could it could go either way you yeah know? <laughs> but i feel like i've been so far lucky and, and of course that could always change at any moment but um Usually people are really flattered, you know, and, and it goes both ways, like these are people that I do really um, admire and appreciate. So, and then, you know, writing about someone is definitely, I do it with love. And so I think most times people, people feel that and feel excited too. So um, it, it was nice to get to like be on the other side of that and continue, continue the relationship with her.
0: Now there's a character in your books that doesn't, I think, get enough credit. And I wanna talk about this a little bit. New York seems to be a character in your books and it's a foodie city from the descriptions in your book and from what other people have said. What are some of the best things about living in New York for foodies?
1: Yes, I, I definitely have always loved New York. I visited when I was a kid and kind of instantly fell in love and I'm almost 34, and I feel like that love has only grown since then. I still have these days of walking around being like, wow, I live here. I'm so lucky. Um, I think one of the things that I think is amazing for a food lover or any like adventure in New York is that, you know, no matter how long you've lived there and how much you know, there's always still more discoveries to be made. So I feel like there could be, you know, something delicious at any corner at any moment. Um, Like always a new, always, you know, a few neighborhoods over there's like a whole, whole world's going on. Um, And I just feel like I'm always gonna be challenged. I'm always gonna get to meet like, you know, one of the things I love about New York is that it's just such a beacon for people from all over the world for all kinds of different Dreams and being a part of that energy is really um, moving and something that I feel enormously grateful to get to have in my life.
0: Yeah, television and film has made it such a beacon for all of us. I've never been there, but like from just watching like Broad City, I know that I, when I go there, I want to like <laughs> Broad City. It's the best show. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> But like i want to get a bodega you know egg sandwich in the morning you know i just i feel like i have to (laughs) do that if i go there yes um does your husband tony still tell cheese puns all the time (laughs) (laughs)
1: um you know it's kind of i feel like we we went through them so many in the beginning of our relationship that sometimes we we both struggle to think of a new one. And you know what? I went, I'm part of this group of women called the witches, the women in cheese. Oh, nice. And we just had a, and we had a beautiful uh, fundraiser in Central Park, a, a walk. And I learned a new cheese pun. So I'm gonna share it with you. And he loved it too. Please do. Um, but it's kind of, it's kind of niche because you have to know the cheese, and you have to be familiar with Lady Gaga. Okay. The, <laughs> I think I can so, do this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, what is Lady Gaga's favorite cheese is, is the joke. And the answer is, she lives for the Ah,
0: uh, Okay. Very nice. I like this. So, very we were
1: good. both like, very happy that we had a new one for our library. But if you ever, I feel like we've kind of like gone through them all.
0: all right did you get any credit from the cheese industry in this book I feel like they owe you a kickback for this book these
1: books (laughs) I think the cheese industry has been so good to me um I'm actually having a little celebration at the at the French cheese board in New York City for the book launch um so yeah I mean I really found cheese people to be like very generous and very big hearted and kind. So I, I think that that's enough. Um, that's enough love. <laughs> I'll take it.
0: Um so your husband Tony is British and has he introduced you to any British foods and what do you like and think is unusual about some of the British cuisine you've tried?
1: Yeah, definitely. We actually had like a little family moment of tension at Thanksgiving a few years ago, cause I, one of my um, cousins said something disparaging about British food, which I know is like a very like common sentiment that British food sucks. And I think that that's just, maybe it was once true. Um, but first of all, people around the world can say the same thing of American food. And I oh, think- yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: And I think just like any place there is There's incredible food to be found. One of my favorite food destinations in the world is going to, every time we're in London, I want to go to Borough Market, which is just an amazing, huge market where they have everything from these beautiful roast mushrooms to there's an amazing um, Afinor who ages cheese um, to foods like from around the corners of the world. So I just I feel like British food. I'm learning all the time. I still he he. Um, we always have a jar of Marmite in our kitchen. Oh, nice. I, still, I love Marmite. I, you do. I'm, yeah. i I haven't gotten that that taste, but um, yeah. There's there's little little things we have. Um, like I, I learned about a cheese and pickle sandwich.
0: Oh, I, um, I, I love a I think, favorite of mine. I love that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that too. I love like when we go. Um, to England, when we've had tea, they have these egg and crust sandwiches, which is, which is so simple. It's like a hard-boiled egg and water crust. Yeah. And I don't really, I never see that here, but I think it's such a good thing. You should. Like it's, it's really yeah.
0: good. I live there in my years. youth. So just
1: little things. Oh, I'm, cool. Awesome. Yeah, I live there when I was younger.
0: <laughs> I never ate so well, so I, I got to go to London and Cambridge. I was there for a couple of years. Cool. I ate really well. I mean, and just, of course, the indian food and chinese food there is legendary oh yeah so i mean it's yes
1: the indian food especially and you know my mother in law is an amazing cook so we went we went there last winter right before they we it was kind of a we went right before they found a new uh, the new variant last year and so we ended up being in lockdown with my in laws for about 5 weeks and we ate very well we certainly did
0: now the the British cheeses are are a little bit different over there. They have some amazing like Wensleydale, and the British Stilton. Did you did you get to try some cheeses when you're over there?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, I next time I visit my husband's family, there's a cheese that they make close by. He's from the West Midlands, and there's a cheese called Berkswell that's amazing, uh, made near there. But yes, I mean the cheddar cheddar is from England, so there's like an amazing cheddar. Um, whole whole cheddar universe uh, agree. I think Stilton is one of the best cheeses in the world. And there's a cheese called Stichelton, which is um, like sti- like Stilton made with raw milk, um, mm. which is incredible. And yeah, there's lots of, I think just like in the US how there's more and more like small cheese makers doing delicious, innovative things with cheese. That's also happening in the UK. So I think it's, it's a really rich place to be a cheese lover. And oh, yeah. they don't have some, that you can get more of the cheeses from Europe that we're not allowed to import here because of FDA regulations. Mm-hmm. So you get all those like creamy raw milk cheeses from France that aren't mm-hmm. allowed here.
0: That sounds wonderful. I got to get yeah. over there soon. Yeah. So this is the last question and I hope it's a fun one. Um, if you could create a dinner party for up to 10 people from history or current time, whatever you like, who would you invite and what would you serve?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, that's such a hard question because, you know, I really do love having dinner parties and it's something I've missed during COVID times for sure. I know. I'm going to kind yeah, I really, and so I'm going to kind of cheat, even though it's like not that exciting, but we um, just had for the first time, just like some friends and family over, and I made, there were these beautiful chanterelles at the farmer's market. Risotto is one of my, one of my classic dishes that I keep coming back to making. That's kind of mentioned in the books, I think. Yes. So I made this like mushroom and shrimp risotto, just like mushroom, shrimp, garlic, mm. Parmigiano Reggiano, nah. and a big salad and like simple, but there everyone was happy. Um, some great cheeses maybe to cap it off. There's, you know, my husband thinks they should come after the meal we usually serve them before the meal here but um I also I'm such a big fan of all frozen desserts like ice cream gelato
0: you can't go wrong go
1: wrong (laughs) yeah so that's kind of like my simple happy meal I mean I would love to meet maybe I would do like a food person food writer dinner because I would love to meet MFK, now the people we've talked about, I feel like that would be such a fun dinner to have MFK Fisher there and uh, Anthony yeah. Bourdain and, and just some great, you know, I, I mentioned it in Feast, I had an amazing kind of uh, friend, Josh Ozerwski who was a very talented food writer who passed away way too young. I would like for him to join us and just to have all these people who like, love food so deeply and just have them share a meal and chat.
0: Oh god what what a wonderful con- what conversations would come of that that would just sounds amazing I want to thank you for being on the show I really am so honored by you being here I loved your books so much I'm so glad to have them and I will read them and read them again they're just really one and I, w- I look forward to recommending them to other people too cuz I have so many friends I'm going to be buying them for for the holidays and say you're going to love this and and mean it and, and know that they will so Thank you for I that. I can't
1: thank you enough. I, it was such a joy talking to you. And thank you for all the nice things you said about my book. And um, thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks very much. That's, I guess that's it. Let's wrap then. I was so glad. I mean, I thought I'd reach out and see if you'd be in the show. But when you said yes, I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> I always of push course. my luck. But it's nice when it works out. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having me. It was super fun. I really, I really had a great time.
0: Yeah, and just congratulations on Simone, and I hope she does well, and you know, and everything goes well with that. It's wonderful being a parent. Enjoy it; it goes by quickly. I got six of them. You so...
1: have? <laughs> you have six
0: kids? Yeah, I mean, I have one that's mine biologically that I raised by myself, and then when he was grown, I married a woman with five kids, so I got to do it all over again.
1: Wow! Cool.
0: Yeah. So I cool. got yeah,
1: it's definitely an adventure.
0: It goes by fast, though, way faster than it does. Think.
1: It does. I mean, I, I'm already starting to see that. Like, it does feel like she was born a second ago and now. Yep.
0: I imagine it's kind of interesting to think that one day your daughter will be reading your books. That must be kind of exciting.
1: I hope so. I hope she's. it's not, like, humiliating for
0: her. <laughs> though also, sometimes kids are like, yeah, well, I'll read it one day. You know, kids are like, <laughs> they're, like, not very excited about what their parents do. I think a lot right. of celebrities have that. They're like, oh, yeah, my dad's an actor. I'll watch his movies one day, you know?
1: Yeah, that's fine. Like they should do their own thing, right?
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll let you go. Thank I you. really appreciate your time. Thank you.
1: Likewise. Take care.
0: I think Take care. Thank you again for joining me in conversation with Hannah Howard, author of Feast and Plenty. Again, I urge you to read both of them. They're riveting and fun and harrowing and everything a big ball of life please read them next week we're going to have paul Lebeau, who is the inventor of the mock mill and is an authority on grain and uh, grinding grains in your home and just a wonderful person to talk to i've interviewed um paul before for my article on medium and He's just a really fun guy to talk to and interview. So um, I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be Science Week. Um, Next week we're going to have Paul LeBeau, and we're also going to have um, Abby Thiel, who is Abby the Food Scientist. So please join us next week for both of them. And until then, stay cooking.